Well, I'm excited about the message that I'm going to bring this morning. I really believe that as I was preparing this, and particularly as I was praying through this this morning, that God wants to speak to people this morning, individually and to us corporately. So my encouragement to you this morning as we come around to this particular passage is to really lean in and to just focus on what God might be saying to you. Let's uh, turn our eyes to King Jesus as we come to this passage this morning. And if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in the book of 2 Kings together today. 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to begin at verse 1. Naaman healed of leprosy. And this is what it says. Now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out and see me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of this leprosy. Are not Albana and Farfa, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went with him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great things, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. As we continue our sermon series together today called The Journey, looking at some significant events in Scripture and some significant journeys that people took, and asking ourselves, what can we learn from these journeys? I wonder 
what the most unexpected journey that you have ever taken has been. Maybe when you think of that question, you think of a trivial story. You have set out for one particular destination. You've gone on the journey only to be diverted and ended up in a completely different place from where you thought you were going to be. Perhaps, though, as you sit here today and you listen, as you watch online, when you think about the journey of your life, it's not necessarily turned out the way you thought it was going to turn out. And today, you find yourself in a totally and utterly different place than you expected. I mean, you had hopes and you had dreams that would come to pass. You had goals that you would assume would have been fulfilled by this stage of your life. But for whatever reason, the journey that you have been on has taken you on a totally unexpected path. And at this point in your life, you're not necessarily where you expected to be. The message in many respects that I want to bring today is a simple one, both from an individual level and for us corporately together as a church family in this moment. It's a call to humility, it's a call to obedience, and it's a call to trust the process. In 2 Kings, we read about a man named Naaman. Naaman was the ar commander of the king's army of Aram. The name Naaman comes from a Hebrew word which essentially means delightful, pleasant, and beautiful. It's the idea of being gracious and well-formed. And because of the significance of names in scripture, the name of Naaman actually teaches us something about who he is. Naaman was a handsome man. At least he was a handsome man before he had leprosy. The further implication is that Naaman was a gracious and he was a delightful man. And what we see as a result of these things that we learn about Naaman through his name is that just because he was great in many areas of his life, it did not stop him suffering. Now, Naaman is not the only person that we read about and we hear about in this story together today. We see a girl in this story who is in not such a great situation either. You see, at the time of writing, Israel was not at its strongest point and its strongest position. Israel had been subject to numerous raids. Actually, a lot of the raids that Israel was subject to came as a result of Naaman raiding Israel. And on one particular raid... There's a girl that gets taken captive and brought back and becomes a servant here. She's carried off into a situation that she did not want to be in, taken on a journey that she never expected to go on, and forced into a situation that she really, really didn't want. Her situation is bleak in a number of respects. But this is our first glimmer of hope that we see from our passage today. Because here's the thing. What this girl teaches us is actually your life might not be in a great situation or a great place at the moment. You may not be where you thought you would be at this stage in your life. You may not be satisfied with life and what is going on right now. But what the account teaches us is that God still has a plan. And even when we don't see it, even when we can't comprehend what is going on, 
on, God is still working. And in those moments, when our journey has taken an unexpected twist and we don't end up in the place that we thought we would be, when it's easy to feel really hard done by because the journey and the route that we have taken has led us down a road that we never thought we would go, there is still hope. And in those moments, the choice is this. We can find ourselves getting bitter. Life hasn't turned out the way I planned it to. I can't believe that this has happened to me. I can't believe that I am where I am at right now. Why does it seem like everyone else around me prospers and actually my life is taking a turn for the worst? Why am I forgotten? Or we can choose to be like this girl that we read about in this story and be a bringer of hope where we're at. You see, the fact of the matter is leprosy is a horrible degenerative disease. And at this time, it always led to death. There was no cure. But this girl who had gone on an unexpected journey and found herself in a place where she didn't want to be didn't have to say anything. She could have kept her mouth clothes, but yet she chose to use her words to stir up hope in the life of Naaman by telling him that there is someone who could help him in his situation. Whatever is going on in your life right now, whatever circumstances you might find yourself in, however tough life might feel right now, ask yourself the question today, how can I bring hope to those around me? How can I lift people up and point them to the one who ultimately brings the ultimate hope? You see, Naaman hears the words of this girl in this story and hope begins to stir in his heart. So he goes to the king and he says to the king, there might be a way that I can be cured. And the king, he wants the best for his servant. So he says, of course, go find this prophet. I'll write a letter to their king and order that you can get this going and get the ball rolling so that things might be well. So he grants him the opportunity to go and find Elisha. And he writes a letter to the king of Israel. And what I find fascinating about the letter that he writes to the king of Israel is that when we read what happens, there are actually two responses to the letter which is written. You see, when the king of Israel gets this letter in 2 Kings 5-7, we read that he tore his robes. He saw this letter as a trap. He saw this letter as a way that the king of Aram was picking a fight with him because he didn't believe there was any way that leprosy could be cured. So he assumes the worst. But then we see, a little bit later in the passage, the response of Elisha. You see, Elisha hears that the king has torn his robes and torn his clothes, and he says, why on earth have you done this? Let the man come to me, that people might see that there is a prophet in Israel. I find it fascinating, these two responses to the same event. The king of Israel, who at the time did not know God, sees this situation, and he sees it as being incredibly bleak. He sees it as being a trap, and that there is no way out, there is nothing good that can come of it. Elisha, on the other hand, sees this situation as an opportunity for God to show himself as faithful. Maybe for a long time you have looked at life through the eyes of the king. You're looking at life and saying, why on earth has this come upon me? 
Whereas the challenge today is to shift your perspective, shift your gaze, shift your focus, and realize that the situation that you are facing in your life right now is an opportunity for God to show his abundance and his provision. But going deeper into this story today, there are really four lessons that I want us to learn together from the story of Naaman about the journeys that we're on as an individual and the journey that we're on as a church together today. And the first one is simply this. Pride can often make us miss our blessing and our breakthrough. Naaman was a very proud man. He was the captain of the army of the king of Aram. He was a good-looking man. He was popular. He would have been a little bit of a national hero. And being such a popular man and being held in such high esteem and high regard, the fact that Elisha, when he goes to see him, doesn't even come out to greet him, this does not go down well with him. And as a result, Naaman was about to walk away from this situation, even though his life hung in the balance. It's funny, isn't it? Up until this point, I reckon Naaman probably would have done absolutely everything possible to try to sort his situation out. But here, he's presented with a solution. And just because he's not receiving the kind of respect that he thinks he is due being the person that he is and holding the position that he holds, he's prepared to walk away from it. On top of that, and not receiving the honor that he felt that he was due, he was asked then to go and bathe in perhaps the dirtiest river around. You see, the River Jordan is a working river. People would come and wash their clothes in the River Jordan. People would take their animals to the River Jordan to drink and to bathe and do all kinds of things. It was a really nasty river. So he looks at this and he thinks, there is no way I am doing this. And he becomes angry. It's amazing, isn't it? Pride can turn up in our lives in a number of different ways. Like Naaman, we can end up thinking that because we've been a Christian for many years, we have a theological handle on everything. And there is nothing in our lives that can be challenged as a result of that. Pride can make us think that maybe we've been part of this church for 5, 10, 20 years. I don't know. And because of the time that we've been part of the church, we have a special stature within the life of the church. And as a result, we deserve special privileges. Pride can make us think that as Christians, we are somehow better than everyone else that we come into contact with. The Bible has a lot to say about pride. We read these words in Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. That's an interesting list, isn't it? The list starts off with this concept of haughty eyes and what Solomon is referring to when he talks about haughty eyes really are people that see themselves above everyone else. It looks at how we view ourselves and how we puff ourselves up. And the term in this particular passage when Solomon talks about hate seems like an incredibly strong term, but the reality is that pride is the precursor to every other sin. We can go back to Genesis and we can see what happens in the Garden of Eden where they are tempted to eat of the tree, of the, of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. 
what happens, how are they tempted? If you eat of this tree, you will become like God. You'll eradicate your need for anyone else. You'll be your own God. Their pride, their ego is beginning to be puffed up. And what happens? They take the bait, they allow pride in, and then sin enters into the world. Here's the thing about pride. Someone put it like this. Pride is the dandelion of the soul. Its roots go deep. Only a little left behind sprouts again. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks and it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. Naaman teaches us that when we allow ourselves to be proud, when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, we're in danger of missing what God wants to do in our life because we think that we know best. Where does pride turn up in your life today, I wonder? Where does pride turn up in our church, I wonder? And what is God calling us to do in response to such pride? The second thing that the story of Naaman teaches us today is that God doesn't always work according to our expectations. The simple fact of the matter is, Naaman wasn't happy with the instructions that he received from Elisha. He looked at the situation, he looked at his circumstances, and he thought, there's got to be a better way than this. I can pick out a number of clean rivers that I can go and wash in if that is what is needed. This is what he said. I thought he would surely come out and see me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, wave his hand over me and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Albana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. God has a way of challenging our thoughts, challenging our pride, challenging our understanding about how he works. And the challenge that Naaman brings us today is that with every miracle, God stretches us to change. I love Another story in scripture that we see of Elijah and the widow. I'm sure you know the story if you know your Bible, but there was a famine in the land and God says to a man called Elijah, go to a place called Zarephath and when you get there, what you'll find is a widow and this widow, she is going to look after you and feed you. And that's exactly what he does. He finds this widow and her son and Elijah asks her for some food. But the problem is this widow at the time doesn't have any food. She says, I've got some flour and I've got some oil and I was just going to go and bake some bread for me and my son and then we're going to die. But Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. First make a loaf for me. I wonder what you would have done in that situation. I'm pretty sure if I'm honest, I know what I would have done in that situation. I like to think that I'm quite a generous person in many aspects of my life, but when it comes to food, it's a whole different ball game. I don't generally, as a, rude, uh, as a rule, share my food. And I'm not condoning this, but I have been known in the past to stab someone with a fork who was trying to nick chips off my plate. I don't share food. I just like my food. So if someone comes to me and says to me, Luke, you know you haven't got much food left. But if you give me some food, you'll have lots more. The chances are, at this point, I'm going to tell them to get on their bike because I don't share food. And yet that's exactly what this woman does. You know, sometimes God will stretch us 
beyond what we're comfortable with in order to help us to lean on him. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I wonder where God is wanting to stretch your faith right now so that you might see the miraculous in your life. As we think about our vision together as a church and where God might be taking us over the next few weeks, months and years, I want that question to be at the forefront of our minds too. Where is God wanting to stretch our faith collectively? When we look at the bigger picture of where God might be taking us, how is God going to provide for us? Are we willing? Are we willing to go along with it, even if it doesn't meet our own expectations and we can't quite see it? The third thing I believe that we learn from the story of Elisha today is that humility can save your life. We read these words in 2 Kings 5, 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Naaman was the commander of the king's army, a very, very important man. And yet it's the voice of a servant which brings humility to his life. It's the voice of a servant saying, get over yourself, Naaman. Just go and do it. And I I think that teaches us something about Naaman's character, doesn't it? The fact that his servant felt comfortable enough to say this to him speaks about the character of the man. Sometimes God will speak to us through the most unexpected voices and the most unexpected people. Sometimes life's most timely and powerful advice comes from the most unexpected places. And it's a heart which is humble, which learns to hear God's voice in the margins. What then does it mean for us to be humble? Here's what humility is not. Humility is not denying the gifts that God has given you. It's good to know the gifts that God has given you so you can put them into practice for his glory. Humility is not having a lack of desire or godly ambition. It's not wrong to be wanted to be used by God for the advancement of his kingdom and for God to do great things through you. Humility is not the pursuit of mediocrity. It's not about denying or backing away from the truth. Jesus sets the benchmark for us when we talk about humility. We read these words in Philippians chapter 2. If your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, 
Jesus Christ, you could argue, had every reason to be proud. He was the only begotten son of God. When he walked on this earth, he could have lorded it over everyone, lived in the finest houses, the finest mansions, eaten the finest food, had people serve him his entire life. Yet unlike Adam, back in the Garden of Eden, he didn't see equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant. That's humility. It's not about me. It's not about my wants, my needs, my desires. It's not about what I think should happen, but rather, King Jesus, I am looking to you for the answers. And that brings us on to the final point today. God rewards complete obedience. Eventually, Naaman did go and dip in that river seven times. The word dip here in the passage is the word tabal, which means to plunge or to fully immerse yourself. When Naaman finally humbled himself, he was all in. He demonstrated at this point complete obedience to God by following the instructions which were given to him. You know, this is where great moves of God usually start. When people say, God, you've said it, I believe it, I'm going to do it. And here's the thing, God will work with our faith, no matter how imperfect it might be. So church, this morning, the real question for us is this. If as individuals and as a church family together, we want to be the people that God has called us to be, where is our heart at right now? Have we at times allowed pride to rob us of the joy and rob us of the blessing and the breakthrough that God wants to make in our lives and in our church? Do we sometimes miss out on what God might be wanting us to do because it sounds too wacky or too out there and it's too unexpected? This is not how it was supposed to be. God, I didn't think you would take us down this route. Are we willing as individuals and as a church, to humble ourselves enough to say, God, today I am open to your leading and I'll do what you're telling me to do. If you've said it, I'll believe it and I'll do it because you are in control. And before as a church we come to discern this collectively together over the course of the next few weeks and particularly at our partners meeting in a couple of weeks time, I believe it's important for us to do this individually too. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and to get ready. But we read these words in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Surge me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. And this morning, church, I want us to do exactly that. Because as we begin to discern together where we might be going as a church, like Naaman, we need to leave our preconceived ideas at the door. We need to leave the correct way of doing things in our minds behind. And we need to take on the mind of Christ together and say, God, nevertheless, not my will, 
but your will be done. Why don't we stand? And church, this morning, I want to just spend some time and be open to what the Holy Spirit might want to do among us. I'm going to ask those members of our prayer ministry team, if you're able, just to come forward and just find a space somewhere at the front. Because I believe that God wants to do a work in the lives of people today. And before we sing this song together, why don't we just open ourselves up to what the Holy Spirit might want to say to us, might want to do in us, might want to say to us collectively. Let's be open to the Spirit's prompts this morning, to words of knowledge, to scriptures, to pictures, to testimony. And also, church, let's commit to be vulnerable with one another. Because here's the thing, Naaman had to come to a point where he was was going to allow humility to reign in his life in order to be free. So this morning, whatever's going on in your life, wherever you're at, the same invitation which is given to Naaman is the invitation which is given to you. Wash and be cleansed. Come to Jesus and be cleansed. Come to Jesus and be healed. Come to Jesus this morning and know freedom. I'm going to pray. And it might be helpful at this point if this is something which is helpful for you, just to adopt a position of receiving. Maybe put your hands out in front of you. And let's be open to what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Come, Lord Jesus, right now, I pray. Meet us where we're at, King Jesus, I pray. May we be a church where pride is not a thing. May we be a church which is open to the unexpected. May we be a church where humility reigns. And may we be a church which says, I am all in. Because you've said it, I'll believe it. And therefore, I'll do it. Come, Holy Spirit. And as the band sing this song, Build My Life, I want to encourage you this morning, if life has taken an unexpected twist for you, if you're on an unexpected journey right now, if you look at life and you think, this is not where I had hoped to be, we've got a prayer team who will just be willing to pray for you. They're not going to delve. They're not going to pry. They're not going to say what's going on in your life. They're going to lay a hand on you. And they're going to pray God's blessing, freedom, forgiveness, anointing on you, whatever it is that you need. So let's sing Build My Life Together. Let's be open to what God might want to do. And if you have a word of knowledge, a scripture, a picture, do come and share it with me. I'd love to encourage the church as we worship together. Let's see what the Holy Spirit will do this morning.